Really? That's all it's going to play. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> okay, so the continuing of the uh, the intro music uh, failing is going on and on. It's actually getting funny at this point. Um, all right, it's Monday night at 10 o'clock. This is the Graph of Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. Uh, this is the show for folks who wonder uh, when Superman is going to be able to speak in front of the UN General Assembly today, like every other world leader. Um, so this sh- yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't he do that once? I feel like he did that once in some comic. Yeah, oh no, he's spoken before of every deliberative body known to man. <laughs> Probably the New Hampshire, New Hampshire State uh, Assembly, you know, included, I believe. I think that would be an awesome comic, someone to do as a webcomic of just having a crappy superhero running the presidential campaigns and, and having them, like, actually have to do that from place to place to place. Could be actually really entertaining. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so tonight uh, we've got a few topics to discuss. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Marvel Comics and their all-new, all-different relaunch, which is happening, uh, I believe it actually starts next week. Um, and then we've got some uh, reviews. We're going to talk about Constantine the Hellblazer and Grayson, which uh, Grayson had their latest it had its latest issue last week, and I think Constantine was about two weeks ago. Um, but joining me tonight is Alana, as usual, my awesome co-host. How you doing? I'm great. I'm excited to talk about these things for sure. Cool. Um, uh, so which you want? You want to start with like reviews this week, or I think we do. We'll do. We'll talk to two comics, and then we'll kind of hop into all new, all different. Sounds like yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's go with Constantine first, because that one was I think fascinating. Um, I don't even know how to describe the the issue. So it's the the fourth if, issue of the series. Um, well, we we should ha- explain the series to folks first, real quick, because actually yeah. we haven't covered it much on the show. So, so, John Constantine, uh, this the Hellblazer is the new DC series about John Constantine character. Um, it's restarted, you know, a number of months back. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any real super strong continuity between what the book is now and the years and years and years of stories that have been going on in the 90s and the aughts. Um, so it's a fresh start, but the character seems like the same exact guy. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, yeah, that that I think pretty much covers it. You know, for the I mean, I think people are probably familiar with the character. If you're not, he is a, a self-loathing magician, rascal, um, down on his luck, but always pulls himself out by the bootstraps. Frequently pulling himself at, out at the expense of his friends and loved ones. Um, it's a lovable tramp, except that he really is going to ruin your life. Um, and that's sort of been the tone of the series in the past as well as now, to be honest. And I would say that I think this is my favorite DC book right now. Yeah, it's up there. Um, it's definitely in my, like, top two or three. Um, I'm kind of which one's my favorite. I think it would be a difficult one to say, but it's it's definitely up there for me. I like it. You know, I like I'm, it a lot. I'm, in the, I'm in the process, and I think I wish you did an episode about this at some point later. I'm in the process of trying to cull my reading list because I have too many darn comics, and it makes me think a lot about like, well, what are the things that I'm most eager, like that I immediately grab to devour right away? Um, and 
you know, the things that are really at my, the top of my must uh, read it immediately before we even get home level of eagerness when I'm shopping at the comic store are Wixiv, Phonogram, and Constantine. Those are those are the, the things that I like can't bear to not have open in front of me from the second that I buy them. So I think that's definitely a signal that the series is doing something right. I would argue that the series is doing a lot of things right. Um, if if there was one thing I could have more of, actually, it would be more art from Ming Doyle. Uh, she did some flashback scenes in issue three that are just so mm-hmm. splendid. Uh, you know, she's Ming Doyle is co-writing this along with James uh, Tinney and the Fourth. Um, and they're doing an amazing job. And the artists that they've had on the book are very good, too. But I just love her, most of all, in terms of her art. Um, she did flashback series, um, sequence of John, how John Constantine met a few of the characters who were in this book. Um, and they had it done in, you know, in a different art style than the rest of that particular issue. It, it's a common way to cover for the fact that you don't have enough manpower to cover all of your art needs for the issue. But... By having, one, an artist whose work we really wanted to see really badly doing that, and two, having a narrative justification that made sense for why the art was going to be different, you know, the, the, the impact was, was, was great. It was really great to have, to have a distinct look and feel to those pages. Um, you know, Ming Doyle's art is uh, a very, like, different. You can always recognize it. It doesn't look like anybody else's. And the other artists on these books are, are, are all pretty singular as well. It's definitely a book that has a unique look. Um, it, it doesn't look like 90s vertigo or anything, but it feels like it's the descendant of that in some ways, but in terms of the quirkiness of the art style, um, I suspect a lot of the people doing art for this book grew up reading that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I think, a pretty good way of putting it. Like, the, the art style isn't, you know, isn't, isn't classic uh, Hellblazer, it isn't classic Swamp Thing from Vertigo, uh, but it feels like that next generation, like, uh, you know, the kind of 2.0 in a weird way. Um, it's good. Like, it, um, I'm definitely not as much of a fan of the art as I was with Doyle. Um, I, I dig, him, dig it flipping back and forth between the past and present. My only issue with the fourth is, uh, with my only problem issue fourth issue my only problem with the fourth issue is that i think some of the art is really close at times so it's you have uh-huh. to pay attention for what it says present and past uh there, yeah. yeah i think that was my only thing is that the styles like at first were very distinctive and then after a while they start blending a little bit i don't know if it's just naturally of me reading it and kind of getting used to it but uh no, i think that I was think my only right. thing in issue four, it, it but that's only like the that, case right? in issue four. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. In issue four, the two artists that they have working on it, um, their style is, is more similar to each other than uh, the earlier artists on the book. Um, yeah. I'm about to pull out their it, names so I can tell you who they are. Yep, it's um, Vanessa Del Rey yeah. and Chris Visions. Yeah, and they're both really good, but it's true. Their stuff yeah. is not as distinct from each other as some of the other flashback sequences, so you do have to pay more attention to it. Um but God, that's a great cover on issue four. The covers on this book are very good. But actually, I would say, I believe, yes, the variant cover of issue one, um, which is one that painting that Ming Doyle did, is the first uh, variant cover I ever spent extra money to purchase in my entire life. Um, <laughs> uh, well deserved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, I guess we could tweet it up if you, if you don't mind. Um, 
and this is actually funny. It'll come up when we're talking about Grayson later. But comics have a tendency to not feel comfortable showing sexualized images of men, partially because they presume that all of their readers are straight men. Um, but I also think that, like, the, you know, the armies of straight men who make comics uh, feel awkward being, quote, objectified, quote. Um, the thing is, though, like, when you're doing this stuff right, it's not actually objectifying. Uh, and this, uh, the cover for issue one, you know, like, having uh, John Constantine sort of, like, doing bedroom eyes at the viewer surrounded by a sea of disturbing fish eyes that might be squirting some sort of a mucusy substance. It's unclear to me. Um, you know, it's, uh, he, 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 he's making himself objects for you, the viewer. And it's not, Oh God, I, I, I could put something more, a little bit more tight together about this, but, but the, the, the cover is really with, and I, we hit on this a bit when we inter- when we interviewed Ming Doyle on the podcast, a number of months ago, I folks should definitely go back and check out that episode. She was an amazing guest. Um, but this this is an issue. This cover, this this variant, it, it sticks out like nothing else on the stands when it was when it was on the racks because there weren't any other covers that were doing that. Um, and there are very few that do that even moving forward. Um, and that's pretty radical, you know. Uh, it's been a great to have, uh, you know, a bisexual guy on the writing team, James Tinian. Um, I think that that's contributed a lot to the excellent queer representation in the book. Um, I, you know, I, I've, I've given the example at times of there being an issue of um, of uh, another comic where the creator felt the need, to, uh, in order to demonstrate that one of the characters was bisexual, felt the need to show that character hitting on a man and a woman in the same panel, but, like, at the same time. Not, like, hitting on one person and then hitting on a different person. Like, hitting them on them both simultaneously. Uh, and it was embarrassing and heavy-handed. In this, like, it's not, nobody's, like, waving a flag and saying, go look at this over here. It's part of the story, and you see that through his relationships with people. Uh, he also has sex with a demon, so mm-hmm. you know, I guess you might maybe it might be better to define him as 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 poly uh, you know as polysexual. I'm not exactly sure, but Omni. Um, I, I, I can't Omni, keep Omni. I can't keep track yeah, of Omni, all the terms Omni now. Be, Omni would be the correct term. Um, anyway, uh, so that is that's been really great to have in the series, especially after the TV show tried to pretend that he was straight for no apparent reason. Um, I, well, I thought there was one hint on the TV show. Oh, no, it was cigarettes. They had him light up the cigarette. Sorry, that was the thing that yes. everyone wanted, that they wanted to yes. get. Sorry. Yeah, because smoking, <laughs> which is, which is, smoking, which is a definitive characteristic of the character, is clearly less of a concern for people than somebody not being straight. Um, I feel bad that that's the thing. Right? Anyway. Oh, I remember they, they broke something. What was it? Oh, no, they showed him a guy. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was him smoking. Oh, yeah, that was it. So, yeah. Um, that's what it was. Um, so the series since then, you know, has been building up a new... They have some characters who have been in Constantine before from his gang, namely Gaz. And then I believe that the other characters who have shown up are new. Um, they, uh, oh, my gosh. Why am I blanking on her name? Her last name is Snow. Uh, there is... I have the, the issue right in front of me. Uh, we've got Veronica is... Um, Veronica... Is the uh, alive one, and then oh, the girl is, um, yeah, Veronica is the one who, or Veronica is the one who's dead, and then Georgie. 
Yes, that's what I thought. And ju- yes, that's it. So I, uh, her last name is Snow, and she wears a lot of white. So I took it upon myself to ask the question of whether she might be related to Elijah Snow from Planetary. Um, there's a thing in Wildstorm of a lot of characters who are, live to be 100 years old wearing white all the time and being rather dapper and also having sort of aloof tendencies. And it really just seems like I could completely believe Georgina Snow is related to Elijah Snow. But uh, after tweeting about it, it has been confirmed to me that she is, in fact, not related to him that they are aware of. So maybe that'll change in the future. But And if it does change in the future, you heard it here first. Um, yeah, I, I think their thing was uh, was like they're not officially related. They might be really, 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 really distant cousins right now or something related, like that. I think is what yeah, you said. Like, yeah. yeah. It was definitely a product of like me having asked for the question. So so much for my fan theory. But um, <laughs> really interesting new characters. Um, it's sort of like a, a pack. Like, the, the the crew of people that you come up with, um, you know, whether it's, like, in your work or in your hobbies, like, the people who you forge your identity with when you first become an adult. And it definitely, like, those are the people who he's, he's talking with his interactions with in the flashback scenes. And the impact that he's had on those their lives is really what the focus of the series so far has been. Uh, generally speaking, his tendency to be irresponsible and abandon people. Um I think that it has some pretty terrifying demons and ghosts in it, both uh, literal and figurative, and, and I think that's one of the points of the series historically as well. Yeah, I, 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 think, I would say I think we actually did pretty good. Uh, last time we talked about the series, we kind of speculated uh, about the relationship between Constantine, Georgie, and Veronica. And I, I I remember us nailing it pretty good as to kind of what we think, like, the meltdown was between the three of them. What did we say? So, from what I remember, I didn't go back and listen to the episode, which probably would have been the smart thing. Um, I remember us discussing it and said that our, our general thought was, you know, it was pretty clear that Constantine kind of got Veronica hooked on uh, magic and kind of led her down a path that eventually gets her killed and that Georgie got pissed about yeah. it was the short yeah, version. Yeah, they weren't able to maintain it. Yeah, you know, well, maybe, maybe and this issue four really is the biggest one in terms of delving into those emotions and the abandonment mm-hmm. and stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, there's a tendency to sort of replay in your head all of those horrible things that you did in the past to other people that you, like, wish you could explain or clarify or change or have undone. Um, and, you know, in Constantine, like, those things are, like, literally physically following him around. And I feel like he's a very compartmentalized character in the sense that when things are bad, he just moves on, moves forward, puts them behind him. And that's what makes the persistence of a ghost around him so, like, such a good metaphor is because he's just trying to not think about his past and his accountability and the things he might have broken. So they are physically going to follow him around and haunt him because he refuses to just have those feelings himself. They've been externalized. Yeah, I, you know, I think the uh, issue three and issue four of this series, first the first four issues, I think, um, show almost like a masterclass of how you give your characters a massive amount of depth um, while still kind of uh, uh, moving the story forward. Um, I think they've balanced the the narrative and 
having to kind of introduce this character or their version of this character uh, for old fans and new fans. Um, you know, they're, they're doing that plus kind of giving us a story has been great. And then I think this third issue and the fourth issue, especially uh, bouncing back and forth between the past and the present, um, not only are the past stuff very, I think, pertinent and important to the, the overall narrative, but they add so much layer and depth to Constantine the character that uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's really impressive, I think, as the writers of what they've been doing. And, and they, I don't think they get enough credit for what they pulled off on the series so far. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, what they're doing is not I agree. an easy thing to, to do. I mean, like you understand what I'm talking about. We're like a lot of people uh-huh. will just kind of tell the narrative and like not have any any past, you know, no, no depth, whatever. It's just here's the story where this is just doing an amazing job balancing the two, um, uh-huh. especially, I mean, these last two issues, I think, have been beyond fantastic um, doing the, the the dance between those two, especially with the giving each part enough space to tell their own story in each issue. Like, there's been almost a perfect uh-huh. balance. Um, I mean, it's yeah. it's really been fantastic. Yeah, that's definitely true. This is really a comic that works very well in monthly issues, and for the reason that you just stated, in fact. Um, I do feel like it's not getting enough attention. Um, I, I don't really see a lot of people talking about it. Like, you know, the, the, the launch was positively received, but it feels like people aren't really talking yeah. about it after that. Uh, hopefully this will get folks started doing that again. Um, I, I think that uh, one of the things, and this is going to dovetail with our conversation about Grayson in a little while, is its relationship with, like, the shifting timeline is an interesting one because yeah. Constantine's youth, you know, is, like, part of the British punk movement in the, uh, the, the in the 70s, and they've moved everything forward, you know. Remember, this is a DC universe in which Batman has only been Batman for, I guess, it's like seven years. Um, uh, I think a little bit longer than that now. Okay. I mean, it, well, so but, when the when it first started, it was five years. It was a five year jump. Actually, you know, it's about seven years is probably right. You're 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 probably yeah, pretty close on years, that. Seven years, three robins. Don't ask <laughs> questions because that'll just child make you services. Upset. I will talk about that later. Um, but um, uh, so here, you know, like I mean, one there's the recognition of the fact that like you know if there if this is part of punk revival rather than this being like a grunge thing, and this is clearly punk revival and not a grunge thing. Um, what does it mean, right, that he's coming out of a movement that in and of itself is retro even at the time in which he's participating in it? Um, I think that that's culturally significant. Um, it's a kind of, oh, not to get all phonogram, but I'm about to get all Dude, phonogram. I, I was actually uh, going to ask you, you know way more about this music and, like, all that significance than I do. So, I actually, I wanted to ask you about that, of, like, what shifting it in... Because in the fourth issue, we see his band. And we get, yep. I think, a little bit better sense as to what they are. So, to you, what do you think that shift actually means for the character or the theory? Does it mean anything? Well, I don't know if it's intended this way, to tell you the truth. But this is how I... In fact... Pretty sure it's not intended this way, but this is what I get from it. Um, I think that having the characters like be part of something which they're, you know, punk was all about like immediacy. It's hard to say all about anything, whatever. But the point is, it was at the and when it came in the seventies, it was about rejecting the past and inventing something new. Uh, and so, you know, punk revival stuff like 
there's, you know, great music that came later that looks to those things that I listened to. But uh, the original is still so, the best. So was, is this, the original would this is be still 80s or 90s? Uh, yeah, this would be 90s, you know. Okay. Um, and and I just think that's also established that it's 90s from our conversation with Ming. So I think, like, the the, the thing is that here they are, you know, they're bringing back the dead. You know, I mean, punk quote, punk's not dead quote, but if you look at them and what they're playing, it doesn't really look like what like a '90s derivative of of you know. I mean, it's not like they look like a costume novelty act either, but um, they look like they could just as easily be in '77. And I think that it kind of is like a retromancy, bringing it back from the dead kind of thing, given the timeline in which this must have occurred. Um, well, isn't there significance just in itself? I, I think it's kind of what you're sort of getting at that, you know, punk during the eighties was there, but it wasn't, it was kind of, it was much quieter. I mean, new wave was really the big thing. Um, oh yeah. But no, but like, but it was, you know, but underground, but underground it was enormous and looked yeah. nothing like seventies punk. Um, yeah, and then 90s, uh, like, when you're you, saying you know, retro. We're talking about, like, hardcore. In the 80s, like, talking more about hardcore, um, yeah. especially in America. I, I actually, you know, and, and more, even more, like, leftist, anarchist, punk, radical stuff in England, but definitely not as much in the public eye and popular consciousness um, as it had been when it first came out. But, you know, th- but th- this is not a hardcore band. These guys are not in minor threat, you know. This is, this is, uh, this is nostalgia, Already, uh, and also it's the '90s again. It's not even the '80s. It's the '90s in here, right? I mean, there, I think there's something kind of interesting. I mean, it just kind of clicked to me that he is this guy who's running around with magic to literally bring back the dead, and here he is uh-huh. singing music of a style that is, in a way, coming back from the dead. Um, yes, that is what I was saying. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, I I, don't know I had not thought to what of that. Extent that's important in the story, but. But um, that was definitely there for me. Um, yeah, I feel like you'd have to have a little bit more interaction between the characters and people in the scene or people outside of the scene for me to determine whether or not that's something which is really like supposed to be a motif or just something that I read into it. But it's definitely there for me when I look at it. I think um, it kind of adds some fun by you reading into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I mean, the the issue in the end where she just sort of shows up and she's in between worlds. Yeah. Um, Vanessa shows up and she's in between worlds. I think that was one of the most heartbreaking things I've read in comics in like the longest time. Yes. I was about, yeah, exactly. It's freaking hard. And it's, it, then it becomes clear that when he goes back and thinks about that and imagines it, you know, and he comes over to... As, as soon as that panel is over... And you look at the color of her hair, and you look at the color of the tentacle monster. Everything, everything becomes clear. Yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting too in that that particular scene, and she's like, you know, save me, kind of get me back to normal. Um, there's a cluelessness about what he's done and what he's doing uh, about it all. Like he's just kind of the careless, carefree John Constantine who gets people killed. Um, you know, fast forward to the now, and he actually has a conscience, and he's reflecting on it, and 
and funny in a, in a weird way, doing what I think so many of us do in our 30s when we kind of maybe think about the people we screwed over. Like, I feel like a lot of people I know in their 30s have had that moment and I'm like, oh, I just totally screwed people over in relationships and did things wrong and, you know, had that high fidelity moment in, in their weird way. Um, I know uh-huh. I did. I had it early for me. But it's like yeah, almost oh, absolutely. in that But I would say vibe. that John is trying not to have that. This is yeah, he's fighting what, it. That's, that's the thing with the goals. He's trying to not – he doesn't want to have, have – he doesn't want to think about that. He doesn't want to deal with his past. Um, and, like, the stuff that you or I would be like, oh, fuck, I would really like to go back in time and tell so-and-so X, Y, and Z. Like, he is doing everything in his power to not address that and to not grow up. Yeah. Oh no. There's definitely. I mean, it's very clear that he's he's experienced it, but he doesn't want to experience it. Um, and I mean, in fact, he's he's in a messed up way taking his mistakes and throwing them at the monster at, in one scene, which I think is another thing that you could probably go in and read into for quite a lot. Um, where he does like the magic show and and like the monster. Uh-huh. Film. It's like, here's all these dead people, and it's almost like, hey, here's all these mistakes I made. Come come eat it and come take me. I'm kind of done and don't want to deal with this. Um, like that up to itself, I well, think. He's, he's first feeding it his his mistakes, and not, and then he decides to give himself to it because he realizes yeah. that it's just too fucking wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, there's... This this comic is creepy and it's interesting to look at and it just really nails so many things that we think about as we get older. Um, it's heartbreaking up. too. I also feel like it's oh my god, absolutely. It, it seriously is one of the most heartbreaking books that I've like read in comics in a really long time, and for it really to be like a, for Constantine to be the one who did it, like that's I think that's part of it too, is because I was not expecting it in the issue, and I read it, and I'm like, oh my god, this is like so heartbreaking and like somewhat depressing and sad, yeah. and oh, I need to drink and drink heavily to finish this type of thing. Like it's really, really, yeah, it's I mean, it's fantastic, just beyond fantastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's good. Also, he's not trying to break your heart; he just can't yep. help himself. And well, I, I think, think the book. I think the book is trying to. I think the book is trying to. I think that's what it's, that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love to get the the authors on another time. Maybe after the first trade, we can have him back on, or we'll ask him. Mm-hmm. I would love to know if if that was like their goal for this. Was like, hey, we're gonna do our fourth issue as just this, like love letter and love story, and uh, you know, if we, we we get you crying, we get you crying type of thing. I, I think it'd be really interesting to see what their intention was as opposed to, like, what the result. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um, I think, so, uh, past lives and regrets and whatever, um, I think it's, like, a good slide into Grayson. Segway. Yes. Indeed. Have we never uh, spoken about Grayson really on the show before. We have so not. So I think I want to, I want to give a little bit of context for this. Yeah, um, you kind of need to. <laughs> So you you should you should give the backup for the story and then I want to give the broader like social context. Do you want to go yeah. for it? So uh, Grayson stars Dick Grayson, uh, former Robin partner of Batman. Um, so the the big picture long story is they had an event called Forever Evil. Um, uh, he was outed as his character uh, or as his alter ego. So the world knew who Dick Grayson was. 
uh, Batman decided that he had a better mission for Dick Grayson. They fake his death. He goes and becomes a underground super agent. Um, think, um, you know, Man from Uncle meets James Bond meets Get Smart with all kinds of cool gadgets. Um, the series is through 12 issues. The 12th issue, I believe, came out last week. Uh, he works for an org called Spiral that's got, like, cool tech that makes your face not recognizable. Um, and the big thing that this issue deals with is the fact that Batman basically faked this guy's death, told him to take off, and told everyone he died. So all these past relationships he's had um, are, you know, they all think that Dick Grayson is dead and gone. So that's kind of the big picture. Um, the the popular cultural context of this comic is that, uh, you know, people have known since, this, there was an, God, I forgot which site published it. There was an article not that long ago that was sort of like, when did the world decide that Dick Grayson was sexy? Uh, it's been mm-hmm. tracked it down to the advent of him being Nightwing, although I'm sure that there are people who, like, when they were kids, felt that way about him in kid mode. But I, I actually wasn't reading DC Comics when I was young enough to have an opinion of that question. Um, uh, and recognizing that, for the possibly for the first time, like very explicitly by the creators, the team on Grayson were like, yes, this is a comic that is designed to appeal to people who are attracted to men. Um, they embraced that. They had a bit of a, like a Sterling Archer thing going on and how they were drawing him from the beginning of the issue, uh, yeah. the beginning of the series. Um, you know, he's not wearing like a superhero costume. He's wearing like, uh, you know, uh, he's wearing Sterling Archer's <laughs> tech turtleneck and pants costume. Um, but the, uh, there was just a lot of knowing like, ways that the story is set up visually and in the character's comments to acknowledge that, like, this is a character that people find desirable. They have it stated by men, they have it stated by women, um, and they have it stated by Grayson himself, who, you know, has always been inveterably, like, one of the biggest flirts in the DC universe, um, like, probably one of the bigger flirts in superhero comics, and he manages to do it without being a scumbag. Like, he really needs to teach Remy Lugo how to uh, better present himself <laughs> in conversation. Um, so, like, when this comic came out, there was, I don't know if it was immediately, but, but pretty early in, its, in the run, there were a lot of people were speaking out about, like, how impressive it was that there was a comic that was, like, saying, like, yeah, you're doing something that, that constitutes cheesecake for an audience of people who find men attractive. And I heard that, and I was like, I am on board with your political program because this is important. And, you know, comics too frequently assume that their audience is only interested in looking at women with a, with, a, with, with a, you know, a sexual lens and not looking at men at all. And that's, you know, ridiculous and then perpetuates ideas about who comics are for and who comics are not for. Um, but I didn't begin picking up the book. Uh, like, I would have told people, isn't it cool Grayson is doing this? But I just, I didn't pick it up. The person responsible for getting me to start reading Grayson is Emma Hubois on Rainbow Hub, um, who is a lesbian. And I, would, I was like, well, if Emma's telling me to read it, and she's not interested in guys. <laughs> but maybe there's something interesting happening in England that's beyond just the fact that it has male cheesecake and that's kind of a radical thing for a comic. Um, so sorry to say that I felt that I needed that external validator to tell me it was worth it for me to start picking up the book, but nevertheless, it did, and I did. And I've been really happy with it because it's a lot of fun and it's well-crafted. 
Um, and it's surprising in a lot of ways, and it has some of the best one-liners in a long time. Sometimes it's a little bit groany, but in like a funny groaning kind of humor mm-hmm. way. Um, it has real emotional stakes, uh, much more so than I thought it was going to. Um, you know, I, I was saying in the review that I never finished that the series manages to be funny, suspenseful, unpredictable, and fan servicey as hell, not just for people who like dudes, but fan servicey to fans of all orientations, uh, but also surprisingly emotionally raw when it wants to be. Um, and this week, this last issue was certainly one that wanted to be um, emotionally raw. And whenever they've had any panels of Dick like t- trying to talk to uh, Bruce, and Bruce, of course, as you know, is, is dead, except he's not dead. Um, he's got amnesia. That's always been... It's a, he's like got a soap amnesia, opera. Super amnesia. It's a soap opera. He got hit on the head. Uh, now he has a beard. <laughs> I'm calling him Beard Bruce, by the way. Um, I like uh, your amnesia, you know, Bruce, that's... with the exclamation point. Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. Amnesia Bruce. You <laughs> shall refer to him as Amnesia Bruce from now on. Amnesia Bruce is about to not be amnesia anymore. Um, so, yeah, like, the, I think it's been overlooked a bit that, like, it's, like, a very emotion. It can be a, it can be a very emotionally raw book when it wants to be. It usually doesn't want to be, but when it wants to be, it absolutely knows how to, how to do it. Um, the art is very well constructed and well laid out, very polished, but it looks like a superhero comic. Like, I think that, you know, even though, like, where, where it differs from House Style is simply in the fact that they know how to draw men flatteringly, and House Style doesn't seem to fucking know how to do that, which is kind of an embarrassment. Eh, they don't draw women flatteringly either. Um, so, but it is very much like this is a comic book that looks like a comic book. You know, if uh, if if that's not something you like, you're not going to get over this. Things are staged in it really well. There's really good panel breakdowns. I'd love to hear from you because I've been monologuing a bit. Um, <laughs> what is the appeal of the series for you? So, okay, we'll start with the art. Like, yeah, it has a superhero look, but the one thing that actually kind of sticks out to me about the look is it's not that over-the-top superhero look. Like, Grayson himself is very, like, slim and sleek and athletic, but not over-the-top muscular. And Oh, I assume they did that because they wanted people to find him attractive, and people aren't attracted to the other thing. However, yeah, well, I'm going to get to that. It might also be a stylistic yeah. choice, yes. Yeah, but, like, everyone might like also, that. Even, yeah. Even Barbara, like, it looks normal. And um, Helena, it looks normal. Like, not, you know, superhero normal comic. Like, as normal as right. you're probably going to get yeah. in, super, in a superhero comic. Um, they're not yeah, kind they, of over the top. Yeah, the anatomy works. That's true. Yeah. The, I need yeah, to give a the anatomy, the anatomy works. in this book works. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Great way of putting it. Um, I like it. Like, I, you know, it's very, it, it kind of reminds me in this Top Gun-ish sort of way that there's all these, um gay undertones to it and like very cheeky uh-huh. nods and I like it. And, and there's something that kind of gets me to laugh because you can tell the writers are doing it and doing it on purpose at times. Um, you know, there's all these, I think, I think it's issue 12 or maybe it was uh, 11. I think it was issue 11 or maybe it was 10, but there's like four or five references to, to Grayson's ass in like six pages um, where they just keep on talking about like how he has this fantastic ass. And it keeps on going on and on and on and on about it. And, like, at first it was, like, uh-huh. okay, odd comment. And then the second time it's, like, okay, it's getting funny. All right, third and fourth time, now it's getting really funny because it keeps on being brought up over and over and over again. Um, so there's, like, it's fun. Like, about that makes – something about that makes it a really, really fun in this 
over-the-top spy story way. Like, this is how I kind of want my James Bond stories to be, you know, grand uh-huh. stories and grand action and lots of playful flirting and not to be, like, super rapey in the story, but I want yep. lots of flirting. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I think would like my James Bond to not be super rapey. Yeah, and, and this one, like, it hits that tone. Like, it's doing it really, really well. Um, you know, it's not, it, it, it kind of reminds me a little of like Daniel Craig, James Bond, except not quite as like brutish. It's much more suave. Mm, mm-hmm. um, well, yeah, I mean, and more well-balanced, like for everything yeah. Dick's been through, he's a surprisingly functional individual. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> Daniel Craig, James Bond is very troubled. Um, oh yeah. And, yeah. And take all that like interesting. Yeah, take that brooding out and add like that bit more swab- like take the suaveness of Sean Connery and kind of put it in like the kick-assness of Daniel Craig's Bond and like that's kind of what you get for the character in a really really good way um without the rapey aspects to it. It's um it's it's good. Like I I think it's fun. It's one of those comics that it might not be one of the first things I read, but I I read, but I look forward to reading it. And it's on the pile of like I want to read this because I know in that maybe whatever ten fifteen minutes I'm going to read it, I'm going to enjoy reading it, and I'm going to actually like forget what's going on around me, and I'm just going to enjoy the spy story and the action and the flirtiness, and in this weird way, want to be a part of this world and like want to be Dick Grayson. Like I want to be cool like that. There's it it has that uh, feeling about it that you want to be like as smooth and cool as this character. Like, I uh-huh. never wanted to be Batman. Like, hey, it's really cool, blah, blah, blah. But there was never a point of, like, I want to put on, the co- put on a cowl and, and swoop from the things. Like, I want to, like, kick ass and dive off of the cliffs onto, like, helicopters and, and have the cool one-liners. And, and it's just fun. Like, it exudes fun, um, something that a lot of comics miss. And it's it's great to see. Like, I really think it's it's a solid and it's another one of those DC comics that – uh, is flying under the radar for folks. Like it, uh, I you know, if you don't necessarily want to read single issues, I think as a trade, it's going to be way more fun to read because you can you know get the adventure in in one package. But the individual issues too work really really well, and this one is almost a standalone, um, kind of bridging what was to what will be, and kind of resetting Dick Grayson for the new status quo of Batman, which had to happen because they were in intertwined so much. Um, yeah, I'm, more, I'm wondering, like, is this really going to be the end of, like, Super Spy Dick Grayson? Because that's yeah. that was one of the other things that makes the comics so sellable is that, like, you know, you could say to somebody, like, okay, you don't like superheroes. Here's a really cool Super Spy book and, like, just sell it as that. Um, I don't know what happens if it stops being that. And I feel like I don't it think it is. Being that. So the no. way I took it, um, I took the end was he... He is playing off of the he played off the I quit spiral so that he was able to go back and hook up again with with Barbara, Alfred, Damien, and Jason Dick or not Dick and Tim. Yeah, but he's totally going to be back with like Batman, you know, like Batman passed out in his lap. Like he's not Batman. Down the, I, I don't know. I mean, you're I right. The probably, you must be right. You must be right. You must. Be but right. So, so that like at last page though for at least for a, a while that last page to me 
It, so for those who don't know and are uh, spoil it, is he's in, uh, actually spoiled it already. So he infiltrated Spiral to to basically gather information for Batman. So he had a handler, and his handler was Batman. Well, Batman is now has amnesia, so it's a little difficult for him to be his handler. So he needs new handlers and a new team to help him. So my take of all this was basically him going through all this to hook up with his new team, which is now Batgirl and Red Robin and, and Red Hood, I think, yeah, Red Hood and uh, yeah. other Rob and all that, to to get his new team so now they can actually, like, infiltrate Spiral again. Um, which would, to me, like, they've gone 12 issues with this. I can easily see him going another 12, 20 issues doing this story with his new team. So I, I don't think it will change in the short term. Uh, long term, it's of course it's going to change at some point, but for now, I think we're pretty good. Cool. I'm glad to hear that because I think that that's, this is a unique slot in their lineup, yeah. and I wouldn't want to be lost. A, a couple of things, you know, came to light for me though. Reading, but this recent issue is, you know, it, it, it what it does is it has these individual splash pages that are just a black. Page, They're interesting. Speech bubbles from from um, the conversations that Grayson has had with the character displayed in it. The first one they do this is actually him talking to uh, Amnesia Bruce, um, yep. and it's all of these quotes from their like going back some years of continuity. Right, this is not just stuff from the New Fifty Two. These are quotes that go back to you know classic Batman comics. And the page is really stark, and it's, I think it's a very successful page. It, I, you know, was really struck by it. It really hits you, you know, these, this is the, these relation, the relationship between these characters is essentially a father-son relationship, and he's mm-hmm. returning to his dad who doesn't remember him, and it's reminding him of all the things that his dad said to him, and it's really fucking sad, and it's a really well-executed page. Um, Bruce should probably keep the beard, but that's just my opinion. Um, and I really liked it. And then they did it again um, when he meets up with the other Robins. And a couple yeah. of things came to mind then. One, which is this entire, in order to read Grayson 12, you have to pretend that this isn't the new 52. You have to pretend that Batman is, that, that this new continuity bullshit isn't existing because the world of Batman only makes sense. Like you can only have three Robins if, Batman has been around <laughs> since the 1980s, like, basically. Like, you just can't explain it. You don't even, you shouldn't even try. So it's just asking you to forget the New 52 exists. And I, I think that that's, that that's fine. I have no problem suspending disbelief in this. I do think that, you know, new readers who, I, I'm not, I don't have a deep history of Batman-Robin knowledge. So I don't recognize many of these quotes at all. It's not like I'm reading them and they have particular resonance to me because I've seen them in the first place. I can yeah. tell that they come from those other sources because that's what I would do if I was the writer. I would be referencing those things. Um, but it really, like, you can't read this and think about and, and act like, yeah, Batman's been Batman for seven years. Because that just doesn't make sense. You have to acknowledge the past history of the character. Um, and the other thing is, though, like, the first time the comic does it, it's really striking the second time it does it, it, I, it just kind of felt a little bit less so, and they keep yep. just going back to it. The, so I, I'm with you on that. The first time I read it, I was like, okay, this is this is interesting. Like I, I, I dig it. It's a fascinating way of doing it. Um, my suggestion would have been instead of just making it a straight black uh, background, 
would have been to have maybe some of the classic scenes as almost like ghosted images really yeah. subtly. Like bring you can bring the text out, but have those images there and then have uh, like each of those main characters uh, really kind of jumping out too. It probably would have been – it might have looked too cluttered. I, you know, I, I have a gut feeling they might have tried it um, and it wouldn't mm. have looked good. But like that would maybe would have been – I would have liked to see if that was possible. It's uh, it's interesting though, and I I agree with you in that it has obviously it shows a massive amount of history with all these characters, and that's a lot to fill in in uh, in such a short time. Um, but I like I don't think I'm. It doesn't bother like I know when they launched the new Fifty Two, Batman's continuity was an issue. And they admitted, even with the new 52, Batman's continuity was still an issue because Damien still existed, and um, and Tim Drake was never Robin, except he was Robin, depending on who you asked. And Bruce Wayne should have been locked up for child abuse. And, uh, I mean, there was, it I mean, was just a mess. that's true in any universe. Like, you, you have to pretend that that's not... Like, that's just one of the things that just doesn't work, you know. uh, But it's just the the sheer quantity of small children. Like, you couldn't possibly train people, like, in that time frame. And I've gone through so many. It just doesn't make any sense. Just pretend it never happened. And they they kind of admitted, like, you just had to have to roll with it. Like, they all fit in there. How it works is whatever. Um, Though they did. Though I I remember right, Batman had been working a few years before it all started. So maybe it's towards the 10 to 15 year yeah maybe it's more towards 10 to 15 than 7 but whatever um even then it's still a obnoxious amount of time um or an obnoxious amount of stuff in that short time period so i like it's one of those like i know it's an issue but i'm like at this point i've just kind of thrown it out and i'm rolling with the new dc universe which isn't quite as hardcore about continuity as uh other publishers so uh I think I'm good. I'm rolling with it. Like I totally agree with you that uh-huh. I read it and was like, this is a lot to fit in and a lot of like baggage in such a short period of time. But eh, you know, whatever. We'll, I'm gonna go with it. Like to try to do a good thing and bring some some like uh uh yeah. I'm just gonna roll with it basically. Like it did. I it was it was interesting. Like the the fact that. <laughs> So, you know, also in that time period, you have him dating Barbara, and it seemed pretty serious, and then she would have been shot, and I guess they would have still been dating. And I I don't know. Like, I really don't know what the continuity is anymore. And I, I mean, I'm just yeah, throwing basically, it like, you know, what is the status quo of Batman? Okay, Commissioner Gordon is robo-bat cop. Babs has been essentially de-aged. I'm not complaining. It's just, it, yep. she just is. Like, I think it's good. I think it was a good idea. I mean, I kind of would have rather had them use Stephanie... Brown maybe instead of Babs because it's sort of the kind of writing Babs like she's Stephanie Brown in some ways but um but like but the idea of there being a Batgirl who is young and is living in fake Williamsburg is like a great idea and I'm glad they did it but it is not like it's just different than former Batgirl they definitely de-aged her functionally um Jason is reading is, uh, Jason isn't something completely unreadable which I suppose is the status quo of Jason's these days yeah. Tim I have absolutely no idea anything about it all. I suppose he exists. Um, so, like that's that's like the status quo in, in Batman right now. Yeah, and you know, I just kind of, I'm, at this point, I'm just rolling with it. Uh, I'm still kind of getting over continuity. I think that might have been a good thing. Uh, that doesn't. It's not hitting me quite as much. Um, the 
like the them doing the quotes, like I would love to know, and someone's had to have done this somewhere online, is gone through and put what all those quotes are from. Right? Like, I yeah, like that would be awesome. Some, someone's going to do that. I'm sure someone has. There's got to be some Tumblr somewhere where someone has done this uh, and done the work. But I, I would think that all these quotes are from past comics and you know actual past conversations, which again would have been kind of cool to have some of those, you know, some of that art in the background so that we could see. But it's it's interesting. Like it's it's very different. Um, I think I liked the previous issues. Um, which issue would have been? I think it was eleven. The previous issue was eleven. Issue yeah, eleven. Yeah, I know. By the way, oh my god, issue eleven has my favorite thing, which is, uh, I, I quote, "This is Dick Grayson to uh, his to someone who looks exactly like Dick Grayson." Yeah. Da, da, da. He says, "You're here. I'm here. We're surrounded by an excessive amount of skulls. The moment just seems right." And obviously what we have here is Dick Grayson stealing one of my pickup lines. I don't, I don't really know where he got that from, if the writing team has been following me into the past. Perhaps I was just immortalized in the minds of past conquests and they have brought this knowledge to light now in the form of a comic book. But I, they're, they're, I don't know. That's a little <laughs> bit creepy. But, um, uh, but, yeah, that was like kind of hilarious and amazing. Uh, issue 12 was... was, was Pretty. I'm sorry. Issue 11 was pretty fucking good. I, I have some critiques of issue 12, but issue 11 was really outstanding, and not just because it made funny pickup lines in the Roman catacombs. That's a added yes. bonus. So my um, thing, the thing is with the art was issue. It was issue 11 has the cool like swirling pages. There, it's like all together. It's about two and a half pages uh, done, where he's kind of like flipping out, talking to himself in this, like, really swirling thing and going through his past instances and identities. Uh Um, And it's done really, really cool. And something, I wouldn't necessarily say new, but it felt new. It felt different. Um, It gets you to kind of turn the page. I think my, the the thing I have with that was that was so good. And then the, the, you know, basically black page with lots of text um, kind of ghosted out of, you know, all around was so complete polar opposites of each other like the first time I saw the black I was like alright it's interesting and then the second and third time or fourth time or whatever number of times it was used it kind of, it got boring like you said whereas like the spiraling was such a cool thing take those two uh-huh. things together like clearly the artist is willing to try new things and do things a bit different and break you know the house style um, and not having it just simple panels uh, which is great 11 is where it worked 12 not quite as well but still still pretty cool that's a really great comparison. I, I, yeah, the art the art in, in Eleven is great. I really thought that it was about forcing Grayson to confront parts of his past that he didn't want to look at either. This would be the continuity between Grayson and Constantine sharing something in common. Yep. Um, yeah, it, uh, the way that you know the character who's like looking like him, uh, you know, is 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 telling him things about himself. And they're not all true, but they're all the kinds of doubts that you have about yourself, you know. And he has to just sort of beat it to silence and then recognize that, no, it's not actually him. Yeah. That that's, like, his worst ideas of himself and not his actual ideas of himself. Um, 
I think that that's uh, that that's I think that really sells it very well. And yeah, the spiraling graphic imagery was was really was really fantastic there. Yeah, it did. Have, oh, one more uh, thing I want to sh- sorry. I was about to say it did. Uh, it it did have a uh, Ash versus Evil Ash vibe about it, but it still worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fun, huh? Uh, one more thing I want to give up. Which it also clearly took from my mind was um, that they have awesome biracial Helena Bernoulli, aka the Huntress. Mm-hmm. Um, I had remember we were, I was when I was I had fan cast Rosario Dawson as Huntress in the unmade DC Universe appearance, and she she can't be anybody else in Marvel right now because she's Night Nurse, which is fine. But I wanted her to have like a bigger role. So clearly Rosario Dawson also needs to show up in the DC Universe as a hero, and I thought Huntress would be a good fit. And then, what do we have in Grayson? We have biracial, not necessarily the exact same composition, but biracial Helena Bertinelli um, being awesome and wearing pantsuits, but like sexy pantsuits. It's very cool. I'm totally and with for natural this. hair. And with natural I, hair, it's like everything you could ask for. I had and a, a and, massive and a sexy crush. Jumpsuit. Yeah, I've got a massive crush on uh, Rosario Dawson, so I'm quite okay with her being um, Huntress. I support that. Oh my god, she's so amazing and perfect. She's got like great oh, politics and is really involved with like community stuff in the East Village. She's from the city and like helped fund the community garden there and like is a badass leftist and like yeah, sorry. Anyway, and also very so, and uh, yeah, job. so fun <laughs> yeah, she is. Uh fun story was she is the only woman I have actually lost the ability to speak around. Um I was at oh, the two thousand and eight Democratic convention and working for an event. I think it was like a women's DNC event. And she was the speaker, and I was standing at the door or whatever. And she comes walking by, and I completely lost the ability to speak. Couldn't say hello, couldn't say nice to meet you, like nothing. I just stood there and kind of had that look on my face, like, uh, to the point that. And as someone uh, who's on a podcast, Brett, that clearly means she has some sort of power <laughs> negating superpower. Yes. I, I had to actually have a coworker hop in to basically save me at that and be like, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna get you to go in." And I'm like, "Oh, I totally came off as like the creepy dude right now. I like I know it." Uh, but yeah, no, I fully support this. And she writes comic books too, which is even. Oh wow! Cool. I'll have to check that out. So yeah, I forgot what the series awesome was, but yeah, yes, <laughs> I I support this. Anytime you say Rosario Dawson, I I'm, I fully support it. <laughs> yeah. So I hope you're uh, checking that out as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess we can move on to some all new, all different. Um, or is it really all new and all different? Is it really all new, all different? Uh, yeah. So while we kind of chat and do the intro, I will bring up my stats while I'm thinking about it. Um, so yeah, for for folks who don't know, Marvel in the summer has been having a huge event called Secret Wars, where they've been kind of shaking up the, their universe. Um, they've been taking various um, concepts and ideas, alternate worlds, and mashing them all together. Out of this, we'll spin out a brand new Marvel universe starting next week, I believe, is the day. Even though the event or the kind of starting point, even though the event isn't over and still has something like three issues to go. Uh, but why should that stop you from actually, you know, having a plan and having it work well? Um, so, womp, womp. They, yeah. 
so they have been uh, part of this is they are rebooting, uh, though they won't say it's rebooting because all the continuity matters before. Um, every series is going to start from one. They have at this point announced. Let me find how many. Uh, 57 different comic series. Um, and I would say the series themselves are actually pretty diverse. They've got a hell of a lot of ground covered and some interesting concepts. Um, but is it really all new and all different is a very good question. Um, yeah. I think they covered it, roughly. Uh, yeah. Before we get into it, uh, to give some stats, is as diverse as the characters might be, and of course we are keeping track of all this, uh, according to my magic numbers, uh, when it comes to their uh, artist working on the 57 series, um, 90, almost 92% of them are male, um, 60, about 64% of them are white, uh, just 5% are black, and uh, about 16% are Hispanic, Latino, and 13% are... I thought are, it was less than that, Hispanic and Latino. Uh, no, Hispanic, Latino like, was actually... I, like, I, I deleted, like, five people who, like, weren't. Yeah, well, they picked up a whole bunch of new people, too, so it's, it's actually, uh-huh. that's the one they do have a decent amount, um, but it's still, I believe, the... And actually, I think that's the one that's like right about the the national average, or maybe that's above the national average. And then, uh, a, mostly Asian is of Asian Pacific region is thirteen percent, which is I think definitely above the U.S. average. Um, black uh, and African Americans are woefully uh, underrepresented. Um, population in the U.S. I think is about thirteen percent, fourteen percent, something like that. Uh, with Marvel for artists is only five percent. Um, and of course, men are egregiously uh, overrepresented at ninety-two uh, percent. Uh, cover, cover artist is interesting. Uh, men is down to ninety percent. White is down to sixty percent. They have no uh, Black African American uh, creators. Hispanics ten uh, percent. They have tons of Asian Pacific um, region at twenty-five percent for their cover artists. And then there's five percent that they just had no idea. Um, series for these are solo series. So out of the 57, 38 I would count as solo series. Um, 26 of them are male, so that's about 68%. Uh, white is about 61%. It's like 60.5. Um, African American, black because Black Panther is just straight up black, not African American. Uh, it's 13%. Yeah, <laughs> um, I sometimes screw that one up, but. That's why I kind of left it general of black slash African American. Uh, Hispanic is about 8%, which I think is the actual U.S. percentage. Um, and then other, which uh, does include a Native American character, which is not necessarily something new because other comics are doing that. Um, some Asian characters, um, they have a, um, I guess Pakistan would be. Is Pakistan, uh, Ms. Marvel, Ms. Marvel's, what, Pac- is Pakistani? Yes, Pakistan, she's Pakistani, American. yeah. Yeah. Um, which, what does that count as? It's not Middle Eastern. Southeast Asian. Asian? Southeast Asian? Southeast Asian. Uh, yep. And then Silk would be, I guess, Southeast Asian as well. Um, so that's 10.5%. Writers, of course we have, is a little bit better than artists. It's 84% male, uh, ninety. Almost ninety. Well, we'll go. We'll round down. We'll be nice. Ninety-five percent white. 
Um, they're up to 2.3% uh, black African-American uh, writers, and no Hispanic Latino from what I can figure out, and then uh, just one who is uh, not that, I think is Greg Pak, who considers himself Korean, so that comes out to be 2.3%. So while in front of the scenes, it might seem all new, all different, and even then I would argue it's not super all new, all different, Behind the scenes, it's a bunch of white people. White males is the best way of summing it up. Uh, so yep. is it really all new, all different? There's some <laughs> cool stuff that looks like it's in the works. But I, I really do think that I will continually now refer to it as all new, all different, but is it really Marvel? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all I'm new, all different, all white, all male. I'm very excited that they picked up Kate Les to do the – yeah, for real. I'm very excited they picked up Kate Les to do the um, – Hellcat book. I think that that's like such a perfect combination of creator and content. Um, you know, I think that that's going to be fantastic. Uh, but you know, it's just like when they have so many op- options of awesome African American creators to have do a Blade book. Like, why wouldn't you go and do that? Yeah, like, I, I want I will, them to I tell will. me that Ron Wimberly said no. Before you know, what I mean, like if you, if you don't, if you don't tell me that he said no because he's too busy with all of his image books, then like I'm going to assume you didn't ask, and that you're an idiot because that would have been amazing. Yeah, um, the, the and he's not the, the only creator who you know either, but just that would have been a really cool one to have. Yeah, like I definitely agree with that. I think it's Tim Seeley that's doing it. He does do a lot of good horror comics. So I will give him at least that. He's very uh-huh. known for the genre at least. So, um, yeah. Oh, I think it'll probably be good, and I might very yeah. well buy it. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. You know, I. Yeah. It's, I would. It's really I would like, I agree with you, you but know. yeah, 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 yeah. I like. I totally agree with you that yeah, I would love to see it, but for him, it could be interesting. Um, just because of his mm-hmm. past, what he's writing. Um, there's there's a lot of it's interesting in that the writers, especially, uh, there's a few writers who are doing a lot of series. Uh, for anyone that says that the X-Men are going bye-bye, I just point towards the series that are coming out and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, while X-Men might not be the darlings they once were, the Avengers are absolutely that spot uh, where the Avengers used to be the stepchild of, of Marvel. Um, the X-Men still have something like eight or nine books coming out, which is a hell of a lot out of the the total, uh, the, the 57 projects total. So, um, you know, X-Men are not going anywhere. And then Inhumans obviously are getting a big push because they're getting a movie. So logically they're going to get a big push. Um, The ones actually I do need to add to this, and it's going to totally probably jack up, probably for the worst actually, um, I don't have any of the new new series that they announced this past weekend on my spreadsheet. So there is a whole bunch that they've announced that is not a part of this, but none of them huh. stood out diversity-wise. So uh, it actually, those stats are going to be worse than uh, than I rat- rattled off. So the new ones are... Yeah, Moon I mean, Knight. for all of the, like, oh, stay tuned, you don't know what we're going to do yet. Well, you know what? Like, if that's really what's going to happen, why don't you freaking tell us? And two, yeah. you have now, and it's not, it's not, it's not anything. Or if you're focusing on the Tahani Sea, the thing that they think the Tahani Sea coats to mean Black Panther is like enough. And it's 
amazing, and it's not enough. Like, come on. Two things on that is one, if if your focus really is uh, a new generation and stepping forward and giving us a new marvel and new voices and new direction uh, and diversity and all that, both in characters and writers, why wouldn't that be part of your announcements? So my thought is either they're full of shit uh-huh. and that they were scrambling in the end and they didn't have their plans together, um, or they have a completely incompetent press team who Possible. doesn't understand how to do a proper launch because if Coates on Black Panther was settled, and they've been talking how they were doing a Black Panther series for a while now, because when first pe- the first cries of uh, lack of representation came out uh, Axel Alonso and a few other folks said Black Panther's coming and it was like no shit it's coming you've got a movie coming out Um, clearly they didn't have a writer at that point because they would have announced him early on he would have been one of the first people I would have announced because that would have set the tone for all the other announcements Um, Kate Leff on Patsy Walker aka Hellcat I would have announced towards the beginning because that sets the tone Uh for the rest of the announcements Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is a fascinating comic I would have announced that early as that sets the tone of the announcements. Um, yep. Instead, they announced Avengers and Inhumans and Doctor Strange and Hawkeye and all the Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel and stuff we've seen before. Uh, so I would either call out incompetence of marketing or and the fact that marketing actually sent out a fucking press release crowing how they're actually going to market their second issues tells me that the marketing is bad. Uh, because that means they haven't been marketing their second issues. But to me, it also says that they they didn't have a lot of us together when they started rolling things out. Plus, in the beginning, they said, hey, we're going to have 55, or I think it was 55 to 60 projects. It might have been 50 to 60 projects, but we'll go 55 to 60 projects with the five more they announced. They're over 60. So they've gone over the cap that they set for themselves and started talking Meaning about Meaning that some launch. of these are ideas that they just pulled together because of the criticism. That would be my take on Meaning that Meaning well. people should keep complaining. Yep. That's exactly my take as well, is that that stuff was pulled out of their ass at the last minute. But interesting enough that all the stuff that has been announced recently that put them over the 60 is pretty like mundane things. We've got Moon Knight, which by Jeff Lemire is going to be freaking awesome. Uh, don't get me wrong uh, on that. Like Jeff Lemire doing Moon Knight, I'm actually excited about because I think Jeff Lemire is an amazing writer. Uh, but Moon Knight itself is a pretty like mundane. We've seen it comic. It's nothing. Spe- it's not Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur or Patsy Walker Hellcat. Uh-huh. It's a pretty like standard comic for Marvel. Uh, Silver Surfer is a standard comic for Marvel and has the exact same team as before. Um, X Men '92. Um, go read the Outhousers takedown of that series with uh, the fantastic Chris Sims. Uh, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. Um, oh. X Men 2 is considered oh. one of the worst Secret Wars spinoffs. So why that is getting a series pickup? Really? Oh uh, yeah. Oh, I, everyone I, I have heard good things. I have not read. I have not read any reviews of it, but I've seen headlines that were positive. And now I'm wondering if those were headlines that were positive or from the usual suspects. Um, I don't know. It's a good thing. It's a good question. It, I, I kind of browse other people's reviews, but like I'm not. I don't dive head, hardcore into it. And the few folks that I really trust that I've talked to have uh, have hated it. So, um, yeah, it's it's one that I'm a little shocked to get picked up. And then I forgot what the other one is. There's one more that I have to look up. Um. 
that has a writer. I think it's a female writer, but I can't think of what the actual series is. It was it was an uh-huh. interesting one, but it wasn't like it wasn't groundbreaking. Um, so yeah, it uh, plus that one that the series they announced was oh Mockingbird. That was it. Uh, it was a Mockingbird. Oh yeah, who's going to be doing that? The Mockingbird one shot was really good. I had yeah, zero intention to buy it, and then I looked at the preview pages. And same it looks really good, so I bought it, and I'm happy that I did. Same, same writer. Chelsea Kane is going to be writing Mockingbird. She's the one that did the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. special that came out whatever, a week or two oh, ago. Cool. Uh, so that one, Chelsea that Kane. One, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something interesting on that. I'm going that. to Google her. Yeah. Um, she is a New York Times bestselling author. Okay. There seems to be a lot of, like, grabbing female authors, bringing them into comics. It's a pretty common. Yeah. Uh, common thing. I mean, this is one of the critiques that we've had. Like, you know, Jeremy Whitley, who I adore, has been like really at the forefront of saying this. Is like, why is it that when comics is now trying to bring in the diverse creators, they're only the diversity they're bringing in are not people from within comics. It's people who've proven yeah. themselves on other platforms. It's like yep. they don't trust. You know, they don't trust people who are who are their own. Who are within their own industry. And then what's sad is, I mean, that if I really wanted to do something that was all new, all different, I would be going up and down for the last year, up and down every artist alley of every convention and snagging people and being like, okay, we're going to give you this small uh-huh. little section of Secret Wars. We want to see what you can do. This is your tryout to make it to Marvel. Um, you create comics. Yeah. You dig what you do. I could already think of at least one female creator I would love to see on a series that uh, the fact that she hasn't been picked up by anyone, I think, is a freaking atrocity. Um, Tell me who I want to know. Uh, so her name's Monica Gallagher. Um, she does a series. It's a web comic called. Uh, let me get the name uh, properly. Uh, she's done a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but she has a comic. Eat your lipstick. What's that? Eat your lipstick. Yeah, Eat Your Lipstick is one of them. Um, oh, the art looks good. Yeah, she like I love her. I actually have bought a whole bunch of her um, uh, art. Like I have original stuff of hers because I love the style of uh, what she's done. Um, yeah, it's Eat, Eat Your Lipstick is her is her Twitter out. And sorry, I want to get this Johnny right. Uh, bon- Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde is the the comic. Um, it's basically a girl who's a roller girl and her like day job and she's always dressed up as roller girl and it's super entertaining and fun comic. It's a great web comic and I buy every issue as when I see her at conventions. Um, cool. She's a yeah, talent. Yeah, she should be at Marvel. Yep. This oh, she clearly. absolutely. If I ran a company, she'd she's be one of the first people I would grab. Yep. You know, this is not someone who could just draw a pretty pinup. Like she's got actual comic book skills like to make yep. comics, not just draw a pretty pinup. Like she would be one that would be a lot of like I would I love Kate Left on Patsy Walker. She would be another one I would think would be so entertaining on uh, Patsy Walker. She would be mm, perfect for it. Yeah. That type of that type yeah. of tone of a comic. Or Spider Woman or something like that. I but, mean the smartest yeah. thing Marvel did lately before Tahani C. Coates was when they went to get um uh, Erica Henderson on Squirrel Girl and Ryan North. Like that was like the really innovative, wacky, smart thing which they did lately. Yep. Yeah. And I expect that's what I expected to see with the all new, all different, and we're not. We're seeing a lot of 
white guys, not different. Um, which is a bit, uh, which is a bit disappointing. So, you know, at this point, it, to me, it's, it's going to be the quality of the, the comics themselves, like how well they actually read. Um, I think a fascinating will be what, what's the first ones to get get the axe. Like there's a bunch that I could already predict that will get the axe um, and probably not make it past 12 issues. But it'll be in, it'll be very interesting to see. And I uh-huh. have a feeling all new, all different is not going to be quite as embraced as everyone would hope. I think it's going to fall a little flat. Yeah, I'm not really sure what this continuity stuff means, like what it's going to have expect you to have read or not read. Um, I think they're going to their their aim will be that you could come in brand new, which is great. And then uh for those who have been sticking around for uh all this time, um knowing the continuity will make things more entertaining. Um, but you don't need to know that. So there's a lot of questions. I think it'll be interesting is, you know, does Miles Morales remember his old planet and what happened there and what does it mean for his dad and all this stuff like this. These are it's interesting questions that I want to see answered, but it's more of a I want to see how them how they do this and pull this off as opposed to actually finding out the answer, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I really am trying to figure out what I'm going to be picking up for Marvel, you know, in the in the new launch. There's I, I've dropped a number of Secret Wars titles in media race. In fact, I feel like at this point the only thing to come out of Secret Wars that I've really liked is the Angela story, actually. Um, yeah. And Runaways. Runaways is yep. nice. I really like. But I've been underwhelmed by so much of what I've read. Like Thor is huge disappointment. It's like one giant women behind refrigerators shit show. <laughs> Um, yes. Of embarrassment. I mean, just completely unnecessary, of course. Um, and then, uh, and then I think, like, well, you know, so here's everybody keeps joking about the Warren Ellis Karnak, the Shatterer book. And, I, yeah. you know, it's like, who is the audience for that? I will tell you, though. I am the audience for that because I'm like the queen of like Warren Ellis, and it's about Karnak the Shatterer. But I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who has that response to that pitch. Like I don't know anybody else. Like if there's tons of Warren Ellis people, I don't think that anybody else gives a fuck about Karnak the Shatterer. There might be some other people who would like like maybe of having Alice do a really random character, but it's kind of like where does that come from? However, I'm yeah. totally picking up that book. <laughs> it, it's what I'm interested in seeing. Um, That's my idea of a good time. It's not what comics needs, but it's my idea of a good time. Um, yeah, that's one where it's like it's interesting, and the only thing I can think of is that that is playing off to the old school readers who loved Kirby's and humans, and Ellis mm-hmm. will hopefully kind of play to them. Um, so that to that, me is I mean, really me. focused like, on the old school, the old school fans. Uh, whereas, like, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is clearly to the new school fans. Um, yeah. My other fear is that there's so many wacky girl comics that they might be saturated. Stepping on each other. 
Yeah, yeah. I think there's other kinds of girl comics that you can do. Well, I don't know. Ms. Marvel's not wacky. Ms. Marvel is really not. Ms. Marvel and Squirrel no, Girl right, are yeah. not the same at all. Yeah. No, but you know what I but mean. Like, I feel like their audiences yeah. overlap a little bit, and that I have they a do, but Yeah. They do, but they're just not like. But they're not both wacky. I mean. Right, hmm. but you now you. But now well, you they have, obviously really need a Secret Wars, Secret Love. That's what you've been saying. Yes, and that, that would be totally different. That would I think would be yep. different. But you've got now. And there needs got, to be other kid books. Like there aren't like there's yes. there's going to be Devil Dinosaur. But what is the other children's book? I guess well, a lot don't of kids know read Devil Dinosaur though. is really a kids book. We haven't seen it yet, so we're not 100% sure. I'm assuming it is. Uh, Patsy Walker would be a tween book, is my guess. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't assume that. I mean, tween, you know, late uh, Get Left has a lot of experience doing stuff for all-ages comics, but yeah. I, don't, I don't hear that and assume that it will be that. All right. I mean, if I was doing it, I would probably be like, all right, this one whose goal, his goal is like, we want tween to late teen female audience. Like, this is what our, our goal would be. Um, I could be wrong. I would be, I would be happily wrong on that. But for me, like Spider Gwen, um, Patsy Walker, like they're all, it it blends together a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what does well and what doesn't. Um, and who knows? I mean, maybe there really is some sort of like, I mean, I think what's interesting of what they're doing and we've, you know, we've seen this with, DC too is that they're all mining the indie comics for their talent. Like Kate Leff is an indie uh-huh. is an, an indie talent, and that's where they're grabbing people, or they're grabbing people from complete left field. That you're like, why are they doing comic? Uh, CM Punk would be the example of that for Drax. Um, yeah, who is that? Is he a pro wrestler? Yeah, he was a pro wrestler. He's not going to be a UFC fighter, so he might not be able to write for very long because he's going to get his brain like rattled a bit oh, in the UFC. Hey, he seems guys. like a good guy. Really exploitative industries. Those like really, yeah. really they, they all their, they treat the people into contractors and then they get them brain damaged. Uh, yes, yeah, they do. At UFC do. I will give them. There is a lot of stories where they have paid out of pocket for medical expenses. So like in that, they are pretty decent. Um, WWE is just yeah. WWE is freaking horrible. That's that's a sweatshop. And they have all the fucking money in the world. It is inexcusable. Yeah, I mean that's the difference. Is UFC is actually overlooked at by like commissions and all that, as opposed to it being just entertainment. So they do have to treat people somewhat decently um, because they're being fairly watched, other than drug testing. But you know that's a whole other thing. Um, there, so yeah, I mean the it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I mean I I think there's going to be a lot of clear. When all new, all different is all done and out for a few months, I think the people shitting on DC now are going to have to eat a lot of their words as they're crapping on DC. I think there's going to be a lot of failure in all new, all new, all different Marvel. That's just a guess. Uh-huh. I don't think they're going to be seeing the six figures like they've been seeing with Secret Wars and some of those stuff. I think that's going to drop really quick. There's going to be initial excitement and then over. I've been disappointed by Secret Wars. Uh, the main story—it's main story—is interesting. I think it's completely incoherent and not really thought through. But that's a whole other thing. Like it, things just don't make sense, and they don't seem to care that they don't make sense. But maybe okay. when it's all over, it will make sense, and we can discuss whether or not it really did make sense. <laughs> whether or not this sentence made sense. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's good. But we might want to call it Yes. <laughs> now we're clearly getting punch drunk uh, at this point. Uh, so, yeah. So, all like all the different. Professional wrestlers. <laughs> yes, and boxers and UFC fighters and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, all new, all different. I think the it's not so all new, all different. And we are both uh, holding our final opinions till to see the final products. But I think both you and I can see through the spin uh, that has been put out there. So. We'll see. I'm sure we'll be talking about it quite often over the next few months. Uh, And with that, we we will wrap up the latest episode of Graphic Policy Radio. Um, I do want to say for those who are listening, next Sunday will be the final episode of Fear the Walking Fanboys. We're not going to do a radio show. Instead, we're going to do a live video during the show. So you're going to watch us drink and be idiots live on video. So it should be interesting. I'm going to attempt to shave and look decent for the camera. Uh, so watch that on Sunday, and we'll have the video up on the site. And the site is graphicpolicy.com, where you can get news, reviews, interviews every single day. Um, so join us and check it out. You can also sign up for our newsletter. If you don't want to go back to a website every single day, you can get things delivered to your email inbox once a week and a nice, uh, well-laid-out, I think, and pretty uh, clear email newsletter. Um Considering what we do, I hope it actually is a pretty decent newsletter. Uh, so uh-huh. thanks for listening. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. We keep it nice and consistent. And I could be followed on Twitter as E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. I'm also on Tumblr as Elana Brooklyn with no space. Yes. Yeah, and you can find us. I was tweeting up uh, some stuff about her tonight during the show. So uh, if you need to find her, you can also check it out, uh, the Graphic Policy Twitter feed, and, and just get it there. So thanks for listening. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, until next week, I'm Brett. And I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky. <laughs>